The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Bless you this morning. Good morning to each of you. God bless you. This is a not a different role that I'm in, but a, a different role since I've been here as your minister of assimilation. I just want to take the time um, in the short amount of time that I have been here as your minister of assimilation. I just want to thank each of you for just the warm reception that you have uh, extended to me. And I have been telling so many people, and it's very genuine, I was sharing with our Connect ministry, that I have been, I know it doesn't seem like it, but I have been in ministries for almost, almost 20 years <laughs> and I have I, I know I look just a little over 20 <laughs> that I you know everybody hasn't been in ministry all their life but um, I preached my first sermon I delivered my first sermon at the age of 16 and I am 33 years today and so thank you and I, I have been in ministry. I've had a lot of uh, enjoyment and wonderful times in ministry, happy moments and happy times in ministry. But I can genuinely say, as God is my witness, that being here with you all and serving at this particular church, I am the happiest I have been in ministry. And for that, I am thankful to each of you. Amen. Well, God bless you. Uh, I was so excited because... Uh, when Pastor Jamo had begun the series on First John, you know, behind the scenes, he was contemplating and praying and asking the Lord um, what his new series would be. And so the two finalists <laughs> were First John and Romans. And for those that know me, that anything written by the Apostle John is something very dear to my heart, which uh, if, as you begin to get to know me more, you'll find out more reasons why. But Jesus, uh, John was considered the beloved of Jesus. And I believe that at the sum total of who we are, that's at the end of the day, that's what we should see ourselves as the beloved of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what should guide our identity and our discipleship. And so when he was sharing that First uh, John was a possibility, I remember saying to the Lord in prayer, I said, tell him First John, tell him First John. <laughs> and so when we were in staff prayer, he said, he uh, shared in prayer, he said, Lord, I just want to thank you as we uh, uh, embark upon this new series on First John. And I almost just jumped up. I said, yes. <laughs> so I am so excited to be, um, have this first sermon of this congregation to be in the midst of this series on 1 John. I'm so excited about that. And I want to draw your attention. We've been in 1 John since the end of September. And uh, we're just trucking along with this wonderful book that really guides our Christian life, guides our spirituality and our discipleship. And I want to guide you to 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. This will be a continuation, really, and a piggyback on what Pastor J-Mo was sharing. I want to thank him in his absence. He's here presently, but he's um, serving with our Nueva Vida in Cristo, our Hispanic congregation. And just, for, just to let, us, let them know that we recognize that they're a part of us, that they're here with us, that there is a Hispanic congregation. Uh, pastor J-Mo and our Hispanic pastor, Pastor Adrian, just returned from a very successful mission trip to the Dominican Republic this past week, uh, just uh, Friday, and um, visiting a church there and a school with uh, Compassion International. You may recall uh, Compassion International visiting with us on Mission Sunday. And uh, just a wonderful thing that they're there. And just to know that with his presence as the pastor of this church, that we care and that we are embracing our Hispanic congregation. Can you give God praise for that this morning? Amen. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 14, this is the scripture that I was assigned. Now, it's very interesting. Um, verse 14 in the English Standard Version, I'll read it in the English Standard Version first, and then I'll read it in the Christian Standard Bible because they read just a little bit differently. Uh, one translation includes something that the other does not. Uh, in the English Standard Version, 1 John chapter 2, verse 14 says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. In the Christian Standard Bible, it says, I, it includes the latter portion of what often is, is included in verse 13 as a part of verse 14. So it includes, I have written to you children because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you and you have overcome the evil one. You have conquered the evil one, rather. So I want to really focus on the Christian Standard Bible. This is something that Pastor J-Mo has uh, for us BTCL students and Bible students here at First Conyers. He has recommended uh, it, it reads easily, um, and it's just very easy to be able to share with the Word of God where this translation is concerned. It's the former Holman Standard Bible. But when you look at this verse, I have written to you children, he addresses who he's talking about. He addresses who he's referring to. This is a little bit of a reiteration from this past Sunday, the previous Sunday, uh, where Pastor Jamo was sharing on forgiven for his glory. And he says, I have written to you children, I have written to you fathers, and I have written to you young men. Now, several commentators are not satisfied with the exact details of who the Apostle John is referring to. The distinction of classes consisting of children, fathers, young men could speak to different different levels of Christian spirituality, different levels of maturity. Everyone, indeed, is in a different level of uh, spirituality and maturity. Everyone's along the way. But I like to say that we're at least on the way. Some people say and give, I was sharing with our uh, spiritual gifts class last Sunday, that a lot of people use the excuse, well, I haven't arrived yet, but you need to at least leave. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people say, I haven't arrived yet. Yeah, you're still in your pajamas in the bed. You need to get in the car and at least be on the way. <laughs> we're born again. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we're born again in order to grow, not to remain babies. You know, we have a lot of Christians that have the type of mentality. They want to be spiritual Peter Pans. They never want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I never want to grow up. But we're born again in the Christian faith in order to grow and develop. So... There's distinction of classes, children, fathers, and young men, but you have to understand that either it's different, he's either talking about different levels of maturity or he may be addressing the same group just using interchangeable terms. Because one thing that you'll notice as we're going through this series is that John's style of writing and speaking goes in circles and it ebbs and flows. He'll mention one point in one chapter and then he'll jump to it and expound upon it in another chapter and he goes back and forth just to bring emphasis and clarity. So nonetheless, the bottom line here that I want to first emphasize to you is that what distinguishes us as born of God, whether we're children, mere infants, or whether we're at the stage of fathers, if indeed he's talking about levels of spiritual maturity, those who can impart, those who can disciple, those who are seasoned in this Christian life, in this life as a believer. 
what I want to do, what I want to distinguish to you is that what separates us, what distinguishes us as being born of God and on the way of developing into Christ-likeness. We haven't arrived yet, but we're at least on the way. We've gotten in the car. I don't know how long the GPS says, but we're on the way. Amen? Is that we, number one, know him who is from the beginning. Do you know him this morning? I didn't hear too many people. Do we? Did we know him this morning? <laughs> this hymn that I'm referring to is the word of life. You can revisit what John is saying in his first epistle. He opens up as the word of life that was manifested with the Father is now revealed unto us. That which we have seen and heard and have experienced personally for ourselves. The word of life is a person, which I'll place emphasis on later. This hymn is the word of life whom John opens his letter, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, our identity as a believing disciple, a son or daughter of the Father, is not based upon, and I want to emphasize this, it's not based upon how long we have been in church or nor our church heritage. doesn't matter if we were born in the church. We don't get into the Christian life and into heaven, ultimately, on the coattails of another believer. Contrary to popular opinion, well, my parents are saved, and my parents are, 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 are stalwart charter members of the church. How are they charter members? And this church has been in 1836. But amen. Um, it doesn't matter how long we have been in church. Church is not a, the physical building is not a transformation chamber whereby we come in here and ultimately become all of what we're meant to be. We have to enter through it is based upon our identity as a believing disciple is based upon the defining moment when you and I came into intimate knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through believing upon him and his finished work on our behalf. All of us remember that time that day. It doesn't matter how young, how young we were or how old we were. Just by the mere fact that we exercise trust and commitment in the person and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what distinguishes us and identifies us as believing disciples. The fact that we know God personally. Amen? There's so many people in the church, and it's a travesty, but they do not know, claim to know God personally, claim to have tea and bagels with the Lord, but don't know him personally, what the scripture says. And that's a travesty because salvation, Jesus, can, you know, we have so many definitions for salvation, but could I allow you to uh, be reminded of what Jesus, our Savior, defines salvation as? He defines salvation, eternal life, in St. John chapter 17, verse 3, as that they may know you, Father, as the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, true salvation, is by the mere fact that we intimately know God. Because of Adam and Eve, because of original sin, we were disconnected, cut off from intimacy and knowledge of God. Not, not knowledge about him, not just, you know, mere knowledge about him. A lot of people have knowledge about God, but do you personally know God? In the, as we used to say, in the pardoning of your sins and in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can bring us into intimate knowledge with him. The foundation of our entire Christian life is that we know God intimately, not just know about him. And it does not mean just because we are in the four walls of a church that we automatically know God. 
or, or that we automatically are born again just because we step and we sit day in and day out, year after year, generation after generation in the church. I was sharing with a, a family member of, uh, we had, I, I know this is not true of, of, it's just of my family, amen. It's just, you know, it's not, none of, none of nobody's family in here, nobody has, everybody's so saved and perfect and, and uh, nobody has a family member that just does outrageous, crazy things. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know nobody has that, uh, but I was sharing with my middle sister. She wasn't able to be here today, and I, this has been some time ago, but we have a family member who, she's not anymore, but she was a little bit trying at the time. Thank God for salvation. Amen. But at the time, it was a little bit of a, a challenge, and um, we, I was sharing with my sister, and she was sharing things about her, and I said, well, is she saved? I asked the question, was she saved? And she, her response to me was, well, she goes to church. I said, that's not what I asked you, sis. <laughs> she said, she, I said, I gave her this analogy. I said, me walking into a church does not make me any more a born-again believer than me entering a garage makes me a Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> <laughs> does not matter about geographical location have we accepted the person and the work of Jesus Christ that's what determines whether we know God or not amen and so many people put the, cor the cart before the horse and they're trying to pack on Christian character without having been born. Uh, the great British pastor and theologian, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my inspirations in his studies on 1 John entitled Like Christ, speaks of how many people seek Christian character without having first been born again. He says it this way. He says, many make the mistake of seeking to grow before having been born. Now, isn't that strange? That just, it just sounds crazy, doesn't it? That's a contradiction in terms seeking to grow before having been born. Many are in the church, but is Jesus in them? That's true salvation. It's not just about being in the four walls of the church. Is Jesus in us? Do we truly know God? This is who the Apostle John is addressing, which leads to my, to my next point. Born again and growing children of God have his word living within. We have his word abiding on the inside of us. What truly sets us apart as children born of God and growing in Christ-like character is that his word remains, abides, dwells, lives in us. We allow his word to make itself intimately at home in us. That's what the scripture says that we're addressing this morning. 1 John 2 and 14, he says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and then notice he, he always, uh, John writes in, 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 as he develops what he's talking about. He'll state one thing and then he'll develop it even more. He says, you are strong. And then he goes further and says, God's word remains in you, which would imply that our strength is derived from the fact and the truth that God's word remains in us. See, this is not, it, it, see, that which is in us, God's word we have his word living within us. That's what another thing that distinguishes us as born again and growing disciples. Not just born converts and infants, but on the way towards true discipleship and going towards the ultimate destination, which is Christ-likeness, looking just like Jesus. That which is in us will be expressed through our lives. Whatever is in you is going to come out. We can hide it. We can try to paint over it. 
but the authenticity and the genuineness of who we are is automatically going to show up. And it's going to show up a lot of times in times of pressure because whatever you squeeze and press, whatever the contents they're in are going to come out. Amen. Amen. I could share some more about that, but you know. <laughs> that which is in us will be expressed through our lives. Jesus said, so his word lives on the inside of us. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And with his word abiding, living in us, his life may be expressed in and through us. And you see, this may be observed in our text for this morning. Once again, he says, I have written to you, young men, and this is gender neutral because you are strong and God's word remains in you. Jesus, John says, young men, you are strong and God's word remains in you. John is letting us know that our strength is not mustered up in ourselves. This is not a strength that is manufactured, but comes from his word living in us. And I, it was interesting because I saw an example of this. An example I see, when you, th when you think about strength, see, I have to be very mindful in it. And I know because I'm, I'm a seminary student and I have some dear people from my seminary who are in here, praise God. So I have to be on my P's and Q's. <laughs> and so I'm so thankful that I can take the awesome education that I have received and, I, and that I'm continuing to receive and be able to implement it because I see it so much in the preparation of sermon and of messages is that so many people think that the word of God contradicts itself. And you have a lot of people who don't want to come into the faith because they think the scripture contradicts itself, that there's contradictions in scripture. No, when you really truly know God, the author of the word, see, it's one thing to interpret a book and interpret a book based on when you're left to your own interpretation. But when you know the author of the book, you can see it a little differently. Amen. And so we have the word living on the very inside of us. And so it's, we'll discover that with the word also comes the author, the spirit of the author, the word of life himself lives on the inside of us. You can't separate the word of life, the person of Jesus Christ, from the word. I'll get to that shortly. And um, he says that one of the things is that it's, scripture is not a, filled with contradictions. When you look at it correctly with the right spiritual glasses, number one, being born again, we'll see not contradictions, but connections. There's connections in the scripture. So when I was thinking about the word of God living on the inside of us and how John addresses young men as being strong, I thought automatically about the scripture that we're so familiar with, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8 and 10. Often refers to the verse in Nehemiah 8 and 10 where it references the joy of the Lord being our strength. So I said, how is there a connection between the word of God abiding in us and if the scripture is true, and it is indeed, and doesn't contradict itself, the joy of the Lord is our strength, how is there that connection? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 16, he said, these things have I spoken to you, his word, his word. Why? For what purpose? That my joy may remain in you. So when you make that connection, Jesus is saying, and there's no contradiction, is that when you receive my word, and allow it to make permanent home in you. You have my very own joy, which makes you strong. There's no strength than the very word of God living on the inside of us that also carries with it his very own joy. Would you agree with that this morning? And this is what I, I mentioned it, but I want to point and place emphasis on it even more, is you cannot separate the living word, the living word 
Christ from the written word, the scriptures, and vice versa. So many people do that. The scriptures, however, all point to the person, the word of life. See, the Pharisees made that terrible mistake. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, addressing the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures. You intently look at them. You religiously pour over the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But they all bear witness and testify to me. And you reject me. They search the scriptures intently and religiously, yet rejecting the very one they all testified of, the word of life himself. I thought about that, of how crazy that is. And I thought, I said, that's like showing up to a book signing of a book that you practically memorized from cover to cover. And when the author showed up, you snubbed him and told him to go to the back of the line. You poured over this book. You waited all this time. You set the date on the calendar for this book signing. You know everything about the book, every jot and tittle. And as soon as the author shows up and arrives, you disregard him and you reject him. And how many times, not in here, but so many individuals do that. John 14 and 23, another connection of how uh, the word of Christ, the living word, the union, the relationship between the living word and the written word. When we keep his word, this is a promise that Jesus said. And I want to set this tone is that this is not a tone of uh, condemnation that John is saying. This is saying, I've already assumed this about you. He's saying that this is the basic foundation of the Christian life, that you, are, that you know him from the beginning, that you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And as we'll see in one moment, that you have overcome the evil one. This is not saying um, this is what you need to live up to. This is something that's already true of you. And because this is already true of you, because of you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his finished work, then all of the other things that are covered in the Christian life will also flow as a matter of course. And that's what I say to you, to this congregation at First Conyers, if you have accepted and believed on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then these things are true of you. And this is to encourage you and to bring great, greater confidence into the fact that you know him who is from the beginning, and all of us can have a a history uh, that can attest to the fact that Jesus, that we do indeed know him and that we are strong, even in the midst of our weakness. Isn't that what he said? He said, in the midst of weakness, let the weak say they are strong. Doesn't matter how you feel. When you're in him, feelings don't matter. It's about his strength, not ours. And then as a result of that, the word of God abides on the inside of us, giving us strength, and we have overcome the world and the evil one. But I want to remind you and encourage you with this particular promise that Jesus gave in John chapter 14, verse 23, the connection of him and his word living on the inside of us. When we keep his word, when we allow his word to live and dwell on the inside of us, when we obey his word, which is just a natural course of those who are born again, allowing it not, per not perfectly, but uh, in, through his grace, we're able to do that, allowing it to live in us. You know what he says? He says, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reveal themselves as our roommates. They live and dwell on the inside of us. He said, if, a, if any man keep my word, he said, the Father, I will love him, and the Father will love him. We will make ourselves at home in him. When the word of God, when the very words of God live on the inside of us, God himself in the persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live on the inside of us. How can we not be strong when we have the very living God living on the inside of us through his word and through his precious Holy Spirit? We have the author of the word, not just the written text, 
These are not just words on a, abstract words on a page, but these are living, breathing. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. Amen? And then lastly, born again and growing children of God have overcome the evil one. We know him who is from the beginning. We are strong. The, his word lives on the inside of us and brings all of the benefits that that entails. And you thought that was too good? And this is just the basics. He says, I have overcome the evil one. Born again and growing believers have overcome the evil one. I love this because this is past tense. We have already conquered. We have already overcome. Now, there is a sense, theologically speaking, there is a sense where we have overcome, we're presently overcoming, and we will yet ultimately overcome. Now, he's talking about the past tense overcoming in the fact that by the mere fact that we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, his person, and his finished work, we have already overcome the world and the devil, not because of anything that we did, not of any merit of our own, but because of what, who Jesus is and what he has done. And Pastor Jamo uh, touched on this last week. Jesus has already overcome the evil one by his person and his finished work. Now, we're still overcoming because the effects of that are still being worked out in our personal life. Like I said, we haven't arrived yet, but we're, we're on the way and we're well on the way. But there's going to come a time, and this is why we have to be reminded, we have to live in light of eternity, that this is not all that there is. And we're going towards a major future where we will ultimately deliver, be delivered from the presence, and, and we're already delivered from the dominion of sin, but the very presence and the pollution of sin and everything that is in total opposition to God. And we'll be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that something to look forward to? That's a reason to praise God this morning. Amen. That's something to be excited about. John says in 1 John, remember now, Jesus has already overcome the evil one by his person and finished work. John says in 1 John 3 and 8, he says this. He says, the one, uh, he says, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. Jesus Christ was made, manifest, made known to destroy the devil's works. And did he not do that? He did that. Did he do it? Yes, he did. Newsflash, let me tell you something. Satan is already defeated. He's a defeated enemy. Many have more fear of the devil than they have faith in God. That's a terrible position to be in. All of us have been tempted in that. But we have to be mindful of the fact that Jesus has already overcome the enemy. I was, uh, Pastor Jamo gave me this awesome book this morning. And just, you know, you have to be careful with me and books. Not that I'm a thief, but if you leave a good book out, I might borrow it <laughs> and I, I opened it uh, to and I saw this it says um, our response oh he says if Satan can get the believer to become more aware of him than of the Lord Jesus the inevitable result is a triumphant defeat a triumphant and a defeated Christian it's terrible to be a defeated Christian at the hands of a defeated enemy. You don't want to do that. Amen? This is a fixed fight. Jesus has already defeated the enemy, and so there's no reason why a defeated foe should be defeating us. Amen? 
He says, many have more fear of the devil than they do have faith in God. Jesus did all the work. He's already overcome the evil one, and he's already, come, already overcome the world. He did all the work, and we are included in all of the benefits. So he did all of the work, and so we, we, we partake of all of the benefits of what he has done. And I thought about this, another connection, and notice that John says in this same letter that we'll get to, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We'll get there sometime in this series. He says, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. See that connection between the world and the evil one. Overcoming the world and overcoming the evil one. Because a lot of times, as I said, the Apostle John uses interchangeable terms. And he'll use, he'll talk about us overcoming the world. And then he'll also say we overcame the evil one. So there's a relationship there. In the uh, ESV, he says, no, just there. Uh, CSB says, we know that we are of God once again, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one or under the power of the evil one. Now, this word world, I thought about this and noticed that John says at the end of his letter, once again, that the whole world is under the sway, under the power, under the control, under the dominion of the evil one. And other verses make reference to us, as I said, overcoming the world. When Blake was preaching a couple weeks ago, he made reference and was coming from 1 John chapter 5, where uh, whosoever believeth on the Lord, that Jesus is Lord and is the Son of God overcomes the world. And then John says here in our text this morning that we have overcome the evil one. And so what's the, I see a relationship between the overcoming of the evil one and of the world. Because Jesus makes reference to the fact that Satan, and, and to um, identify who the evil one is, in case you don't know, it is Satan, the devil. <laughs> uh, when we make reference, Jesus makes reference to him as the prince, the ruler of this world. Now, the word world, he's not talking about God's creation. He's not talking about this beautiful world in which we, uh, God's beauty and creation. He's talking about the spirit of this world, the spirit, the mindset, the mentality that is in total opposition to God. So when John is talking about the world, he's talking about a spirit. He's talking about a mindset. He's talking about a mentality that goes, lives in total opposition to God and is led and inspired by the evil one. So you can't separate the spirit of this world from its ruler, the enemy. But you know, I have good news for you. You already know it, but I want to reiterate it, is that Jesus has already defeated the evil one and the world. And because we are in him and we believe in him, he counts us as victors as well. See, we overcome in his overcoming. We uh, triumph in his, we're triumphant in his triumph, and we conquer in his conquest. We didn't have to do a thing but receive him and believe on him, and he did all the work for us. Isn't that good news this morning? Jesus conquered the evil one and the world. He, like I said, he made... He said that the prince of this world is cast out. John chapter 12, Jesus said this. And then he also said um, that the prince of this world is coming, but guess what? He has no power over me. And then what I saw was John 16 and 33. I want to read it to you from the Amplified Bible. This really just puts the icing on the cake here. He says, I have told you these things 
so that in me, Jesus said, there he, there's his word again. I have told you these things, the relationship of his word. That's why it's so important for his word to be living on the inside of us. So that in me, you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But he says, don't worry about that. Be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. Why? <laughs> Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. But look what he says here. He says, I have deprived it of power to harm you. And I have conquered it for you. So there's reason for us to be strong. When this word abides on the inside of us and we recognize and receive the confidence that we are born again and growing and developing disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, once again, I have told you these things for this purpose. This word lives on the inside of us. So that in me, he says, in the world, you'll have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Living according to this world mindset and this opposition of the world, you'll have all of that. But he says, I have told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have perfect peace and confidence. I don't know what's troubling you this morning, but I know that Jesus said that in him you can have perfect peace and confidence. Why? He said, be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Be certain. Be undaunted. I have to remind you of this promise, for I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus is saying and assuring to us. And I love it. He says, I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So this is the reason why we have, John can say, many years later, he can say that young men, young women, wherever you are on the tatum pole of Christian life and Christian development, you have overcome the evil one because Jesus said in John 16, I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and I have conquered it for you. And that includes the world and the evil one who is behind it. He's a defeated enemy. He's a defeated foe and he should be in our lives. Amen? I got this far and didn't even tell you what the title of my message was. <laughs> so I say all of that to say that the title of this message is we, The Word of Life in Our Life. And I want to say something about that. And that, it was meant to be like that. But I, I, I want to say something about that is that um, I intentionally gave, I was wrestling with that particular title because I'm a perfectionist and like a lot of details. And so I like all of my, even my sermon titles to be theologically sound. Amen. Because we have a lot of titles that are not theologically sound. <laughs> and so when I looked at uh, the word of life in our life, I said, yeah, that's true off the surface. But what I do not want to communicate to you, because people think based on their own mental grid. And so what you may see from a different word may be trigger thoughts or uh, concepts that are not what I'm trying, intending. What, I'm, what I am not saying when I say that the word of life in our life is that the word of life being the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that he's just in a compartment 
of our life. So many people say that, you know, well, I'm so glad that Jesus is in my life. And I said, well, I don't think that's so right because before Jesus came, you didn't have life. So you can't, you know, you have to, you, we receive life from Jesus Christ. We just had existence, but we didn't have true life until we received the word of life himself. So I'm not saying that Jesus is just a part of our life, that he's just in our life. Colossians says that Christ, when Christ who is our life, and that's the whole goal of discipleship, that all of who we are and all of what constitutes our life will be under the lordship and the dominion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, we will be able to say, we can't say it now. We can say it right now because it is true that Jesus is our life. Amen? Amen. Jesus is not just in our life. He is our life. And you know, we would not be aware of any of this good news, nor would be able to enjoy its ongoing blessings without the foundation of intimately knowing him. Going all back to that, what he said, children, you know him who is from the beginning based upon his word living and being at home in us. And please be reminded that this is a mutual indwelling. It's an exchange. Jesus makes his home in us by his word and his spirit, that inspired author of the word, and we make our home in him by receiving him in trust and commitment to who he is and what he has done for us. And what a wonderful reality this is. We're getting ready to prepare for communion this morning. And how fitting it is that um, this message ties along with that, with the word of God, with the word of life himself, living on the inside of us. He says, um, we remember that he is present in us during this time of communion, that he is present in us and we in him. And we dwell upon his words that live in us, making us strong with his own joy, his own love, his own peace, his own prayer promises. Uh, another wonderful promise of the fact is that Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, if if you abide in my word and what did he say and my words remain in you and they abide in you they continue to live in your hearts they dwell in you he said you will ask what you will according to my name and the word of God in us it does it's not a big blank check what he's saying is when the word of God lives and dwells in us it crafts our prayer requests and so what we ask is already going to be in line with his, temp with his personality and with his nature. And we're not going to ask amiss, as James says. And so he said that your joy may be full. You will receive those things that you ask as a result of the word living and abiding on the inside of us. And so we have to be reminded of the fact that communion is the, in this time where we remember the mutual exchange that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are in him and that he is in us. Amen? Amen? And the beauty of all of what that means, that he's present with us, present in us, present living in us, through us, and that we are strong, that his word abides in us, and that by his blood and his broken body on the cross, we have overcome the evil one. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online 
at firstconyers.com.